Ruth chapter 2, if you'll join me there in the second chapter of the book of Ruth. And just a reminder as we began Ruth last week, Ruth is uh, a short book, but certainly a lot of great lessons within it. It's a book that gives us themes like redemption and, and grace and restoration. We see the sovereignty of God uh, at work, and uh, it's certainly a book thematically that demonstrates what we call the providence of God. And again, when we talk about God's providence, we're talking about how God proviso in advance. He sees the future, he knows the future, and therefore he works in situations in our lives, circumstances, coordinating things that are happening today and next week to connect with what he wants to transpire next month, knowing what that's going to culminate in next year and how God, by his providence, at times, apart from our even recognition of it, is coordinating events and circumstances, connecting dots, having us in the right places at the right times, connecting maybe with the right people, and he's putting pieces together always to ultimately lead to his good plans and purposes. And we see that, I hope you do, as we go through the book of Ruth. Certainly it's one of the great books that demonstrate God's providence. And again, also in the book of Ruth, as we'll begin to see tonight, going into chapter two, it's a biblical narrative on love. And certainly it's a representative, a type, and you should see the picture in Boaz as a picture of Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that a little more going forward. But it's a beautiful record in the scripture of a biblical love story between Ruth and this man Boaz. And I think, again, as I said last week, if you are single, if you are a young person, if you know someone who you have influence upon, whether you're a parent, grandparent, or just a brother or sister in the Lord, that you know someone who's still in that process of seeking to find a mate, just really, really great examples short book, great lessons to learn of what kind of man you ought to be if you are seeking to find a wife or also as well, uh, if you are a woman, what kind of man you should be looking for. Uh, a man like Boaz uh, is the kind of man that you should be looking for and vice versa as young men looking for a Ruth in their life and if you're a young woman seeking to exemplify some of the things you see in Ruth, her character, her attributes, the way that she handles herself uh, to be be the best prepared woman that's godly for maybe the man that you might meet someday. Now, for sake of backdrop, it's because it is a running narrative, rather than regurgitate to you the background, I just want to reread chapter one, especially if you weren't here with us last time, just as taking a running start into the second chapter where we pick up. Let's just read through the first chapter to reacquaint ourselves, because this is a narrative. It says, chapter one, now it came to pass in the days... When the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of that man was Elimelech, the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons, Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and they remained there. And then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left and her two sons. And they took wives of Moab. The name of the one was Urpah, and the name of the other was Ruth, one of the main characters in our story. And they dwelt there for about 10 years. And then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. And she arose with her daughter-in-laws that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was and her two daughter-in-laws with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you've dealt with the dead and me, and the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, she said, my daughters go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should have hope and if I should have a husband tonight should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. 
But Ruth clung to her and she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth here making a declaration, we see her commitment not only to Naomi, but clearly her conversion, it seems, putting faith in Yahweh God, wanting to go back with her. She says to her mother-in-law now, Ruth says, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And now she says, your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And the Lord, the covenant name of God, do so to me and more also of anything but death parts you and me and when she saw that she was determined to go with her she stopped speaking to her and the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem and it happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them again it had been 10 years a decade that Naomi's family had been away and the women when they saw Naomi coming saying is this Naomi which again remember her name meant pleasantness but she said do not call me Naomi or pleasantness but call me Mara which means bitterness she says for the almighty has dealt very bitterly with me again she's lost her husband she's lost her two sons I mean she's been through quite a bit of tragedy after spending 10 years away even in a foreign country she says I went out fool but the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So again, Naomi at this point being widowed, returning with her young daughter-in-law, widow herself, you can tell as we talked about, she feels utterly hopeless at this point. She feels like we just spent 10 years in a foreign country outside of the boundaries of God's inheritance, away from the people of God, away from everything. And she says, why we were there, nothing good even happened. I lost my husband and then I had to bury both of my two sons and I'm returning now back to her homeland. It's interesting that it was the affliction and the difficulty becoming what it was and her hearing of the goodness of God back in Israel that causes her now to just go back and seek refuge. It seems again she's returning back probably to where she knows she ought to be, back to the house of God, back to the people of God. She had been out in the world. Things had been nothing but hard, but she feels that everything is against her at this point. She feels very hopeless. Circumstantially, it appears to her from her perspective that everything has gone wrong. There's no more hope, she says. That, no, she says that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. He's afflicted me. So verse 22, the chapter concluded last week telling us, so Naomi and Ruth, they returned, it says, from the country of Moab and they came back to Bethlehem, their hometown. Notice, at the beginning of the barley harvest. So, lo and behold, what she had heard about God's goodness back in the land of Israel after the bad famine and starvation period when it was very hard 10 years earlier when they fleed the country of Israel looking for refuge and perhaps again as we said maybe not trusting the Lord maybe uh, in a lack of wisdom trying to take matters into their own hands and instead of waiting upon God and trusting him to take care of them in the lean season and the difficult years they flee to another place. So she's now coming back. And what she's heard about what God had done for his people is true. She comes back and they're not planning. Notice it says they're harvesting barley. So they're bringing in the harvest of the crops that God had given to them. So the Lord had indeed blessed again with abundance. And it's interesting that they come back at the beginning of the barley harvest, which becomes the connection point to all of the good purposes and plans of God that are now about to start to unfold. Naomi thinks everything is lost. She's lost her husband, lost her sons. They've lost their land allotment back in Israel. Imagine they had to give all this up. She's coming back completely in her mind empty-handed and she has no idea that in the midst of all that, despite the decisions God's been superintending, God's been preparing in advance and even using bad decisions and difficult circumstances to now come together and that's all going to culminate in God bringing about a wonderful work of restoration. 
and doing something fantastic where God is going to restore back to her pretty much everything that was lost and again turn her sorrow into incredible joy we'll see in the days ahead and even the timing that they returned back at the right time when the barley harvest was happening because that's important keep in mind as far as the providence of God if they returned back at the season when they were just planting and not harvesting then Ruth would not have gone out into the fields Boaz would not have been there overseeing his workers as they were bringing in the harvest and Boaz and Ruth would have never met each other and so even the timing of the right season that God again he orchestrates all these things he has the right timing and the right season a lot of times we're impatient and and we don't even recognize so many times don't we not read in the Bible where it says and at the appointed time then the Lord's plan comes together. And so often God has an appointed time. He has an appointment. The hard part is we're impatient and we want the appointment time to be sooner for us, but God is orchestrating timing with things. And even here, this beautiful thing, these two people met each other as they became a husband and wife ultimately, but it was a timing thing. And they weren't ready to meet each other before that. The time And, and had things not happened the way they did, even despite some poor choices in the process they would have not been at the right place at the right times to actually make this connection point they're going to make where they actually meet each other so just very beautiful they come back it's the barley harvest and then chapter two introduces us now really to the the guy who becomes the hero of this story boaz it says there was a relative of naomi's husband a man of notice the bible says great wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. So at this point, we're introduced to Boaz before Ruth actually meets him. We'll see that in the verses ahead. And you can tell Boaz already was a very special man. He was a man of great valor. The Bible tells us that he was a man of great wealth, so uh, he had incredible resources. He was a man of power, a man of resource. He was well-respected, you can see, uh, in the passage, a pretty special guy. And he was wealthy, apparently, because he probably worked pretty hard and he had fields that he was in charge of. And as I said, Boaz will become the hero now in the narrative. He's the one who saves the day, literally, no pun intended. And because of that, as you're reading the book of Ruth on your own and as we study it together, always be looking at Boaz and recognizing he is a beautiful biblical type of Jesus, a picture of someone who saves someone who spares the way that he treats Ruth the things that he does for Ruth so many times beautiful imagery of how Jesus relates to us the grace that he shows his willingness to take her to himself as a Moabite woman who should have been an outcast but yet he draws her to himself and and takes her as a wife though she was an outcast in the culture as a Moabite woman and how he spares her and saves not only her but ends up saving her entire family line and ends up restoring back to them what they had lost as a result of their choices, even as how Jesus saves and restores back to us everything we lost back in the Garden of Eden when humanity made the mistakes that we did. And so keep that in mind as we go through this, looking at Boaz's life. So verse 2, it says, So Ruth, the Moabitess, turns to Naomi, her mother-in-law, again, and says to her, Please, let me go out to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So it seems, again, keep in mind, they come back at barley harvest, whether it was right after they got back or maybe during the time even in the years in, in Moab that there was some level of communication about the law of God and the ways of God what was taught to the Israelite people were maybe even a brief explanation as they were coming back into the community that there was this understanding of, well, what would they do to survive now? Again, to be a widow made you very, very vulnerable in that culture. It was difficult to survive in that day. But God's law had made provision for the poor and for the widow and for those who were strangers or foreigners, or we might say you know, those who were immigrants in the land of Israel so that there was a way for them to be cared for and provided for in their poverty or in their vulnerability. 
And it seems that understanding that law, being aware of it, Ruth has heard of this law of God regarding this way of provision for them while in need. Again, let me just acquaint you, Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 24 describe it. Listen, it says in Leviticus 19, verse 9 and 10, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. Nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Listen as well to Deuteronomy 24, beginning in verse 19. It says this, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, again, for the fatherless and the widow, which both these women are, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. That is a second time. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless and the widow. So God basically establishes under the Mosaic law, basically his divine welfare system where he makes a provision for those who were in poverty, for those who are less fortunate, it says for the, for the stranger, for the widow, for the fatherless, for the alien or the foreigner in the land of Israel trying to get by, struggling to get established. And the way he did that was he told the people, again, an agrarian society, he said, listen, when you go out to harvest your fields, this is the barley harvest time, they were instructed that they were to basically harvest their fields but leave the corners. The idea is to kind of just cut off the corners so that some would be left as a provision for those who were poor or widows or orphans or needy in the land that they could then come and they could harvest the area of the remaining corners to have some form of provision for themselves. Or he says as well, when you go through your fields or your olive groves, he says, you take one pass, that's it. You just go through, you harvest one time and, and anything that you don't gather on the first pass through when you're harvesting or that falls to the ground, don't be greedy and have to, he says, no, instead I want you to leave that behind and then after you go through and harvest what's rightfully yours that you own, the fragments, whatever's left over and remaining, that excess, God was basically saying, I want that to be there so then the poor and the needy in the land could come to and they could harvest what was left over in the fields. Again, the land was God's. So he said, since the land's mine and I bless your provision, you take the bulk of it. Yes, it's yours. You've worked for it. But the remaining, what's there, can be left for the poor and for the needy and the widows and those who were orphaned. However, take notice, it wasn't a free handout. Those who received what they received still had the dignity of the labor. They still had to go out into the fields and get it. So whether it was a widow or an orphan or someone, again, who was in poverty or struggling to get by or an immigrant in the land of Israel that wasn't a Jew, what they understood is, yes, it's provided for us and yes, it's free, but we need to go out in the field just like the harvesters do as well. And we need to go out and put in a little sweat equity ourselves and we need to gather it ourselves. It wasn't just show up, get in line and we'll hand it all out to you for free. They went out and actually worked for it. God created a dignified way for them to be provided for while also contributing a little bit of sweat equity like everybody else in the culture. So they, I think, really had a form of, of, of dignity themselves that, that, yes, it was provided for free, but it gave them an opportunity to work and to receive what they needed. So God created this to be established. And Ruth and Naomi apparently are aware of this. And among that understanding... Ruth here basically inquires of her mother-in-law and she says to her, hey, mom, we, we need to survive here. So she's saying, let me go out into the field and, and see if I can glean some uh, and, and basically walk out in faith this scriptural promise. And she's walking forward, trusting God to supply. And she believes that she'll find favor in, or grace in some field as she was many fields there in Bethlehem, to be able to experience this provision as a widow in the land. So she's going out. And again, can I just say, take notice of Ruth. As, as a, a woman here, she is an industrious, responsible, hardworking woman. She turns to her elderly mother-in-law, and not only does she want to care for herself responsibly, but what else does she have? She has a very unselfish heart. She wants to take care of her aging relative, of her elderly mother-in-law. She doesn't say, Mom, how about you go out there and, and work? I want to sunbathe for a little bit. 
She says, no, how about I go out and I glean the fields behind the harvesters and take advantage of this provision in the Mosaic law as a widow in the land so that I can get some food for us. And she offers as a sacrificial natured woman to go out and to work. So it just shows you again her temperament as a, a young woman, this godly woman. She, she understands the promises of God. She's walking forward in faith. She's a caring woman. She's a woman, clearly, who loves her family. She's servant-hearted. She's unselfish. Again, beautiful attributes again here. Responsible, diligent, uh, staying productive in this time of singleness in her life. And a beautiful picture to see what she's doing in the interim before she meets Boaz. Verse 3 says, So then she left and went and gleaned, notice, in the field after the reapers, and look at verse 3. This should be underlined if it's not in your Bible. And she happened to come to the part of the field, imagine this, belonging to Boaz, who was the family of Elimelech. Now, the reason why that's going to be important is because Boaz will be her ultimate husband. But more than that, he is the right husband for her because he will become what's called the Goel or the kinsman redeemer, a close family blood relative who could not only marry Ruth and become a husband to her but actually because he was a close relative be able to redeem back all of the land and the inheritance and the property which would not only bless Ruth with a husband but would spare Naomi and restore back to the family everything they lost in their tragedy and hardship so again what do we see here again the, the providence of God of all the fields she could have gone out into, of all the corners of the field she could have wanted, there were multiple fields. And the Bible says, and it just so happened that she came to the field belonging of all people, imagine that, to Boaz, to the right place, to meet the right guy, to make that connection. From a natural standpoint, it appears, does it not, from their perspective, that she's just going out and doing practical everyday things. She's just going to work. She's just doing the responsible thing. She's just taking an opportunity. She's just doing practical day-to-day -day affairs. And it appears that she's just walking out life. However, what's happening? God is directing every one of her steps. She's just making decisions, praying things through, walking it out. But God in his providence is directing her steps to put her in the right place so she ends up at the right location in order to meet her future husband and God was orchestrating the whole thing. It looked like maybe just coincidence, but with God there's no such thing. There are God incidences where God is directing our steps as the Bible tells us he does. I love Genesis chapter 24, another beautiful scene as well where there's the result of a marriage there in Genesis 24. It tells us that Eliezer, the servant of Abraham is sent to go find a bride for Isaac. And as he goes to the other land afar off in a distance, he's praying and asking God for guidance to find the right bride for his father or his servant uh, Isaac, who he's out seeking a bride for. And then it says in Genesis 24, after he prays and walks forward, it says, and being on the way, he says, the Lord led me. And that's all often how it happens. Just as we're just walking out life and you're taking steps and you're just thinking, I'm just going about life. And the reality is the Bible tells us the steps of a good man, a godly man, are ordered by the Lord. So the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, what? Just keep acknowledging him. And what will he do? Direct your paths. And, and like Ruth here, it'll just so happen that you end up in the right field at the right time for the right occasions, for the right connection points. And what a beautiful thing to be able, I mean, that's like a soft pillow to lay your head down on the bed at night. It's called the pillow of the providence of God. That you can just let, Lord, I'm just doing life. I'm just praying. I'm just trying. And you don't have to stress about, oh, am I, I going to be in the right field? Am I going to be in the right As you just walk out life, trust the Lord, love the Lord, serve the Lord. Lord, guide me, direct me. And as you're just walking out, God will order your steps and have you in the right locations for those divine appointments and connection points. And even this, listen, if you're in singleness, you'll ultimately connect with the right person. You don't have to go hunting. You don't have to. Because you may go hunting and you'll be in the wrong field. <laughs> Just live out life. Walk out life. Serve the Lord. 
fulfill his purposes and let him, he'll get you in the right field at the right time. Then you go, ho, ho, there's old Boaz. Or like, like Boaz is going to see. You'll see and he's going to say, who is that in my field? Never seen her before. Well, verse 4 says, now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to his reapers, look, the Lord be with you. What a great boss, huh? And they answered him, the Lord bless you. So Boaz shows up. He's the owner of the fields. His reapers are out there working. The boss shows up on the job site here. And you can see right away, this guy, he cares more about his business uh, and, and money. Uh, he cares way more about people, is what I'm trying to say, than he does just business and money. Because the first words out of his mouth are not, hey, what are we bringing so far? Or get to work, you scurvy animals. And He's not a, a hard... He just shows up and his first words out of his mouth, greeting his employees, the Lord be with you guys. Hey, the Lord bless you, boss. Good to see you. I mean, wouldn't we love to work somewhere like that to kind of have that kind of environment? But you could tell about Boaz. Again, take notice uh, for you, all the single ladies. He's a spiritual, godly man. The first thing that becomes very evident about Boaz is this man was deeply spiritual. Because where is he at? He's a boss. He shows up on the job site with his servants and his workers. And the first words out of his mouth are about what? The Lord. He's somebody who's focused on the Lord more than his pursuits, more than his success, more than his professionalism. The thing that he's focused on more than anything else is the Lord. And that becomes evident in how outward and how open he is about the Lord. He outwardly, you don't have to question, I mean, do you have a relationship with the Lord? I mean, you, you, once in a while, if I ask you, it just it's in his speech. He can't help but to talk about the Lord. He can't help but to bring up the Lord. He can't help but to focus on the Lord. Again, that, that's the kind of guy you want, ladies. A deeply spiritual man. Not just a man who has a spiritual label. Well, yeah, I'm a Christian. But do you ever serve Christ? I know you say you're a Christian, but I don't ever really see you serving Christ. Do you want a Christian in labor or do you want a Christian in life, in living? And there's a very big difference. And Boaz is just this deeply spiritual man. I mean, he's very open about his relationship with the Lord. His, the Lord is in his speech. The Lord's evident in his life and in his lifestyle. He cares about people, about his servants. He wants to talk about the Lord. He's interested in the hand of the Lord being upon his life and his activities and his business. And again, this is the kind of guy, ladies, a deeply spiritual man. Find a guy who loves the Lord like Boaz. He doesn't just talk about it, but no, he loves the Lord. He's... he's outwardly living for the Lord where it's, it's just unquestionable. This guy, this guy just loves the Lord. It's just so evident. This is the kind of Boaz you want to be looking for here. And look what happens, verse 5. It says, And Boaz then said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers that day, as he shows up in the fields, Hmm. That's probably there in Hebrew. Whose young woman is this? Hmm. That's what a guy would say, right? He takes notice. Who is that over there? I haven't seen her in the field before. So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and he says she's continued from morning until now. In other words, she's worked hard all day long, though she rested for just a little while in the house. So Boaz now comes back and notice he takes note of Ruth being there in his field and something stirred within him. And again, this is, just, this is just natural. We don't have to super spiritualize things. Ruth was probably a, she was probably a very attractive woman. And he took notice of that. At this point, he hasn't met her. All he does is see her in the field. So when he says, hmm, who's that? It's nothing more than, hmm, who is that? Again, she's and she probably don't look her best here. She's out working in the field, right? Sweat on her brow, maybe some dirt on her forehead. But she was she was physically attractive to him. He found her physically appealing. He was interested. He was a single man, and and hey, and he inquires, who is that? His servant says, hey, actually, this is Ruth the Moabitess. You know, she's this uh, you know widowed woman who came back. Remember Naomi? They left ten years ago, and he gets gives report. And already, notice already, Ruth has done what? She's established a good testimony for her life. 
because the servant gives word to Boaz and he doesn't say anything negative about her. She has a very good testimony. And he says, this is who she is. And boy, she's a hard worker. She's faithful. She's diligent. She just kept her hand to what she's doing. She was gracious. She came and asked if she could work in our field. She was a, a kind woman. And again, she's built a good testimony so that when Boaz inquires, he gets a good report rather than hearing questionable things about her life. And again, you see what's happening. Who's the one initiating in this? It's Boaz. Boaz is inquiring about her. Boaz is interested in her. Boaz is the one that will initiate and pursue in the relationship. Is that not exactly what Jesus does with us? I mean, here we are. We're out in the field. And we're nothing but a, an outcast, a, a Moabite, one who's not even worthy. Remember, the Moabites for 10 generations weren't to ever be allowed in the house of the Lord. We have nothing to offer. And we're just out in the field trying to grind out life, doing our thing. And we're not looking for the Lord. And, and what happens? All of a sudden, Jesus zeroes his eye in on us and his love and his affection. He's interested in you and he, and, and he begins that pursuing process. And it was different in your life, I'm sure, than it was in my life, but we weren't looking for him and he just began to pursue us and he began to take interest in us. And Jesus is always the initiator, even as Boaz here is doing the same. And again, I would say, ladies, take note. That is how it's supposed to be. Boaz, your Boaz, he should be an initiator. He should be the one pursuing you, inquiring about you. You shouldn't have to go chasing any man. Verse 8 says, Boaz then said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to my young women. Notice the exclamation, not my young men. Stay close to my young women. <laughs> stay away from them men. He said, I don't want you around my young men. That could cause problems. You stay close to my young women, he says. And let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded, he says, the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, he says, go to my vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So again, Boaz here, as I said, both a picture of Jesus as well as a beautiful example of the kind of man that a young godly woman should be looking for. Not only is he spiritual, does he care about people? Is he taking initiative? Is he very godly? It's evident that he loves the Lord. Uh, but notice, as I said, here he is, and, and he, he's the one that engages her in conversation. He initiates with her. He goes up to Ruth. This is sort of the introduction to meet her. He initiates in the relationship. He's the one that directs and initiates the conversation. He starts communicating with her. And notice how gracious he is with her. And we'll see this continuously. He, he seeks to provide for her and make sure she has what she needs. He says, listen. He says, listen to me. He says, you don't need to glean in any other, glean in any other field. Don't, don't you bother going anywhere else. Anything you need, it is all here, he's saying. You may have as much as you want. And he says, look, if you get tired or thirsty, there's a house over there and you see those water pitchers over there. When you get thirsty, you just go drink and satisfy your thirst, quench your thirst whenever you need. And again, doesn't this remind us of Jesus? Not only is he a provider and is he gracious and does he bless us when we enter into his fields, but doesn't Jesus also say if anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And Jesus gives us the fountain of the water of life freely and satisfies our thirsts and meets our needs in those ways so again you see these beautiful pictures here again but Boaz now just again great man he wants to provide for her he, he's all notice as well he, what's he doing he's offering guidance to her providing wise counsel he says listen stay with the young women just keep working in this field don't bother bouncing around from field to field he's trying to help give her some guidance and counsel providing some leadership providing some direction to her to help her in this process. She's new in the area. She's new to this whole Mosaic law thing, but he's trying to provide her guidance and spiritual counsel and wisdom. Again, all these wonderful things, ladies, that, that are, are fantastic attributes that you should look for in a Boaz. Is this his heart? Is he seeking to work in ways where he's seeking to make sure that you have what you need to provide for you? Uh, to, to do what he can to help uh, provide assistance and counsel and, and again to protect her notice he says verse 9 there I've told all the young men not to touch you I like that he wants to protect this woman 
because he cares about her. So he wants to make sure that she's shielded and protected from anything that could harm her in any way. And again, just beautiful examples of attributes that a young woman or any single woman should want in that Boaz in her life. Look for those kind of traits in a man. He's trying to make her life simple and easy to care for her. He's pursuing her in the midst of this. Well, verse 10, she's perhaps seems a little smitten as well by this man Boaz. He uh, seems impressive because when she comes up, uh, having met him and hears him say all these things to her, verse 10, she's smitten and says she fell on her face. I don't know if that means she swooned or, you know, I mean, just, whoa, you know, <laughs> and just, she just, you know, it, no, it's probably not the idea there, but, you know, I mean, that wouldn't have been a good start to a dating relationship, huh? She get up and she got a big old, you know, puffy eye or whatever, and, you know, it would been quite awkward for a first date there, but uh, she falls down on her face and notice says, bowed to the ground. Again, that's just a, a Hebrew ancient form of reverence. She's, she's impressed by this man. Uh, she's very taken back by who he is, his valor and his nobility and the way he's just treated her. Again, why? Because she feels like an unworthy pagan woman. She's thinking, why would this man have interest in me? Notice it says she falls down, bows to the ground and says to him, look at it, verse 10, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? In other words, when he treats her so kind and so gracious like this, basically what you have happening here is Ruth is just humbled. She's amazed because she doesn't know what to do with her feelings because he's being so gracious to her. He's being so kind. Or she says, why would you take notice of me? I mean, I'm a foreigner. I have nothing to offer. I'm, she feels so unworthy before his goodness and his kindness and the way that he's treating her. But again, is that not how we often feel towards Jesus? When he comes into our life and then he's just so gracious to us and he pursues us and he keeps loving us and, and satisfying our thirst and providing for our needs and he's making things. It, it's wonderful to be serving in his fields and we find ourselves kind of like that before the Lord, don't we? When, when he shows favor or some of your translations even say grace. Why have I found grace in your eyes? Lord, why are you so gracious to me? I don't deserve this, Lord. Why are you so good to me? But this is part of our experience with the Lord as well. And she just feels so blessed by how he's treating her like a princess and just being overly kind and favorable towards her. And again, ladies, that, that's how you should feel. If a guy's treating you right, that's how you should feel. You should feel overwhelmed. I just, you, I can't get over the way that you take notice of me and make me so special. And she felt very special even at this very early stage. And Boaz answered her, verse 11, and said, it has been fully reported to me. He says, I've heard about you. All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. So he says, I've heard of your noble character. How, though you've lost your husband too, instead of being selfish or, or grieving or staying where it was comfortable, you sacrificed. And you sought to help your family and to, to love and to support your aging mother-in-law. And you've sacrificed your life to help your family, he says. And how you've left your father and mother, he says, and the land of your birth and have come to a people that you did not know before. What's he saying? You have incredible faith. I can't believe the faith, he says, that you have, that you left all of that to come here to this land. Verse 12, he then says, the Lord repay your work. And a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings, he says, I've heard, who you have come for refuge. So Boaz speaks to her, and as I said, he's very impressed by Ruth's character. He's amazed by her reputation and what he's heard about her. Apparently, as you can see, not only is Boaz a very spiritual man and a godly man, but Ruth has become a very godly woman. She's a deeply spiritual woman herself. He mentions that she's sacrificial, that she's a woman of great faith. She left everything and just trusted God and traveled to a foreign land so that she might answer what she felt was what the God of Israel under whose wings she had come to take refuge, that she had just submitted her life over to the Lord and said, all right, Lord, my life's yours now. 
and I'm ready for whatever you want with my life now and I just surrender it to you and he had heard about this surrendered life that she had to the Lord how she was a woman faithful in her commitment and again let me say on the flip side ladies th this is the kind of stuff you want to seek to prepare yourself to be and, and for young men not only should a young woman be looking for a godly man but by the same token a, a young man should be looking for a, a very very godly woman like Ruth it's not just, whoa, who is that in the field? And then she comes up and drops the F-bomb and is the most rude, selfish, cantankerous gnat. And you go, hey, but she looks good. <laughs> and, and, and sad to say, that's probably a little more of a problem for men than it is for women. But listen, what is Boaz impressed with? Yes, he was physically attracted. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. God's created all those things. But Boaz was impressed with the depth of her character. With her inner beauty, says, I've heard about you. You're an incredible woman. You've given your whole life up to serve the God of Israel. You're sacrificial and you're so caring and, and generous and giving and you're diligent and industrious and you're faithful and you're so committed. And he's very, very impressed. What he finds most attractive is her inward beauty. That's what he's impressed with. And you know, that is the thing any wise young man would recognize. That's what's the greatest beauty. The Bible says, Proverbs 31, does it not? Charm is deceitful. Beauty is fleeting, means it passes away. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. This is what kind of beauty is going to last. And here, Boaz finds this and he's very attracted to Ruth in this sense because of her deep spirituality as well. Verse 14, now Boaz said to her at mealtime, now here's where he starts to make his move. Come here, he says. Eat of the bread, he says, and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. I guess that's how you flirted in that day. Bring your little piece of bread over here, baby. Dip in that bowl. Dip in my, we can share. You dip in my bowl. We can double dip around here, he's saying. Come a little closer. This is, this is flirting in Hebrew culture. So it says, she sat beside the reapers and he passed the parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. Now notice, she ate, she was fulfilled herself, but she kept some back. Why did she keep some back? Instead of further, in, instead of just glutting herself, she satisfied herself. But who's she thinking about? Naomi. Again, she's a woman who's other-centered. She's thinking about her mother-in-law. And she's saying, look, that's enough for me. I, I came out here today to take care of my mother-in-law as well. And so rather than just overly indulging herself, she's always thinking of others. She's a Philippians 2 woman, looking out not only for her own interests, but also for the interests of others. Again, very impressive. She keeps some of it aside, but he's trying to bless her. And again, this is just a way in that culture. This is kind of a, a formality of courtship and trying to connect. He's trying to get to know her a little bit better and trying to connect with her. So she holds some back. But again, he provides for her again, as we see. He's satisfying her, giving her what? Interesting, come and eat of the bread. And of eating of the bread, she's satisfied. What did Jesus say of himself? I am the bread of life. And whoever feeds upon me, upon my life, Jesus said, shall not hunger. And whoever drinks of me, so shall not thirst. Again, this beautiful picture of how Jesus satisfies us as well with the bread of life himself. Verse 15, and when she rose up then, notice, again, she's not a lazy woman. She just didn't sit there all day. Dinner time was done. She rises right back up from the meal and heads right back out into the fields again to glean further. Boaz has given her the right to do that now freely, so... Boaz commanded then his young men. And now watch his words again. Look at more of the character of this guy. He says to his young men, let her glean even among the sheaves. The idea is not just the stuff that's fallen down in the corners. He says, even the good stuff. He's trying to provide extra for her. And do not reproach her. In other words, don't rebuke her for violating the Mosaic law because she's not just taking the leftovers. He's saying, I'm saying, give her more than the leftovers and let her do it, he's saying. In fact, look what he says, verse 16. Also, let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So, I mean, this, this guy knows how to treat a woman. He wants to bless her. He tells his servant, he says, listen, not only let her glean among the sheaves and whatever she wants, but he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to purposely he says on purpose deliberately 
pick some for her so she don't even have to pick it and then drop it on the ground. Oops. Well, I guess you can have that if you want it, Ruth. <laughs> he, he's basically telling them to do the work for her. He's saying deliberately make extra fall on the ground so that she can be abundantly blessed. Again, this is a picture, as I said, of grace and blessing, unearned favor and help just like Jesus does for us. He blesses us abundantly. He's gracious to us above and beyond. He doesn't just meet our needs, but he blesses us above and beyond at times in ways that are just so gracious. And Boaz is seeking to make things for Ruth, what? Pay attention, as easy as possible. He is trying as a man to make her life as burden-free as he possibly can. I mean, look what he's doing. He's not only trying to make it easy, he's trying to make it ridiculously. He's pampering the woman. He's saying, hey, deliberately, just make, just make a fall right in front of her. And he's basically doing everything he can as a man to be sacrificial and servant-hearted to lighten her load, to make her life as easy as possible, to do everything he can to make her life abundantly blessed, to care for her in a manner that things would be easier for her despite what it cost him. And it would cost him. That was basically wasting his business there. He's saying deliberately throw extra profits on the ground for her, but he's willing to bear the cost and sacrifice to make her life easier. And again, any good man, a godly man, ladies, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for a guy that's going to bless you and take burdens off of you, a guy who's going to sacrifice and die to himself for you to make your life better, to make your life easier, to, to be a representative of Christ. What did Jesus do? He sacrificed, he laid down his life so that we could be blessed and benefited and our lives could become better. And this, again, is just a, a beautiful image, not only of Jesus, but also, again, be looking for this kind of a man. Be looking for a Boaz, someone who knows how to treat a woman well, to create a safe environment, a protected, blessed environment where he just wants to make your life blessed and as easy and carefree, lighten your load as possible. Beautiful to see the way he's treating her. So verse 18 or 17 says, so she gleaned in the field until evening. And then notice she went and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. That's about 30 pounds. So that's a good amount, way more than they would typically gather in a day's work out there. But again, you see the diligent worker she is. After she gleaned the field until evening, she then stood there because she was an industrious, hardworking woman and kept uh, everything together and beat out what she had gleaned so that she could bring it home prepared and ready. And then verse 18, she took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave her to what she had kept back after she had been satisfied, remember from the meal. And her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today? What is this? She says this is way more than anyone normally comes. It's your first time doing this. You're pretty good at it. She has no idea that stuff was being dropped right at her feet for her all day long. She's thinking, whoa, you Moabite's not at work. This is impressive. Where did you glean today? And where did you work? She says, blessed be the one who took notice of you. Now, again, take notice. Blessed be the one who took notice of you. She notices what good things have happened in Ruth's life and she's praising the one who did the good things in Ruth's life because she sees the evidence of the goodness and the grace that's happened in Ruth's life in the same way. This is how it should be. People should see evidence of the goodness and the grace of God in our life and it should cause people to say, man, I, I, who's done this in your life? How has your life become so good? Blessed, I mean, praise the one who's... And, and it should cause people to ultimately want to come and to actually give reverence to Jesus himself, our Boaz, who's done such good things for us. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked with and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Uh-oh, ding, ding. Naomi had forgotten all about this distant relative. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relative of ours one of our close kinsmen. So all of a sudden, Naomi goes from the end of the last chapter, the hand of the Lord is against me, woe is me, hope is gone, and she goes from absolute darkness and despair to now in one day, her whole world turns around. In one day, she sees the providence of God and she realizes, oh my goodness, I forgot 
that we had a relative named Boaz. It had been 10 years. And you, you worked in his field and you met, you met our relative today? Of all the fields you could have been in, you, you met Boaz and he, he took a liking to you? And he treated you like this? So what's she realizing? Oh boy, this is prospect for the future. He's interested in you? This is, I mean, this isn't just great for you. This really was basically the salvation of them not dying and being able to survive having come back to this land with no husbands and no provision and no land that they own anymore to be able to work. So she realizes the providence of God. She says, this is one of our close relatives. Now, again, what she's referring to there, the Hebrew is, is a goel, someone who is able to be a kinsman redeemer. And we'll talk more about this as we go into chapters three and four. But what she's indicating is this is someone who can now marry you and therefore restore back to our family all that has been lost. Again, if you want to read some of these chapters, we discussed them before, but Leviticus 25, verse 23 to 25, Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 and 6, and Numbers 27, verse 8 through 11, where it describes there the role of what a close family relative was to be not only able to do but they were responsible to do which was if someone was a widow and they had not raised up a son or an heir the closest family relative the closest blood relative or next of kin was not only responsible to but they were able to marry that individual and they were supposed to raise up an heir so that the family name was preserved the family inheritance was preserved and if they had lost land which is what they did they were able as a kinsman to use what wealth they had to purchase back that land that might have been sold off to a stranger in hardship and hard times and buy it back for the family so that it could be brought back into and everything could be restored. And this is what Naomi is so excited about because she realizes of all people, you met Boaz, one of our close relatives. Well, look how the chapter concludes. It says, Ruth the Moabite has said, yeah, and he also said to me, you shall stay close by my young men. Now, what did he say? Stay close by my what? Young women. So, watch. Here's the wisdom of an older woman. He said, stay close by my young men until they've finished all the harvest. He said, I can work with the men till the end of the harvest. So she, being a wise older woman, this is why you need a, a godly mother figure in your life. She said to her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that the people do not meet you in any other field. So she says, listen, two things. One, Stay away from the young men. You stay with the young women. <laughs> stay away from the young men. You, you stay with the young women where you're safe, where there's accountability. And she says, and you know what? Stay in that guy's field. You're in the right field here. And she's going to ultimately help her to, to say, look, now I'm going to tell you the playbook. You need to stay in the right field and you follow my playbook, honey, and you're going to score yourself a good man in the process. So verse 23, she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean till the end of the barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. So again, you're going to see as we go into chapter 3 next week, the, the, the beginning of this marriage proposal come together. These two who are in love begin to pursue a marital relationship. And Naomi, beautifully, Naomi, the mother figure in Ruth's life, is intricately involved, not only helping her with discernment, but good wisdom and counsel, how to further navigate this situation and basically saying, look, the hand of the Lord is upon this relationship, honey. So let me give you guidance and counsel. And again, just a beautiful picture to see how parents providing assistance, godly wisdom in the midst of those things. Well, let's close there for tonight. Let's stand. Let's pray together.